This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Have a listen to this. Have a listen to this. Now, that kind of talk this week dragged Australia's share market to a two-year low. There are, of course, complex reasons for that. He was the big spender. The big spender. Doing the grocery shopping could take a huge chunk out of the family budget. And that's finance. Hello and welcome to Comedian versus Economist. We demystify the world of money and help you get a handle on the bigger picture. My name's Adam and we're joined as always by my little older brother and real life economist, Thomas. Hi, Thomas. Yeah, g'day, Adam. How you doing? Uh, good, thank you. Big thanks for Sasha for dropping into our feed last week with an episode from The Dive, all about the future of self-driving cars. We really hope you enjoyed that one. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to The Dive if you haven't already. Thomas, you had COVID last time we spoke. Uh, mm. Fast forward a couple of weeks and I'm in isolation now, recovering from COVID myself. Mm. Uh, first of all, how are you feeling? Uh, yeah, much better, thanks. Still not 100%. I've got medium to mm. long-term COVID, it seems. <laughs> <laughs> That's just laziness. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah, well, I'm, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I don't know, you coming look, out you of look it. terrible. Emerging. Thank you. Yes, thank mm. you. I'm, I'm unkempt. Uh, unshaven. I feel terrible. I don't know how because like we're in different states, but I'm guessing somehow during the hour long Zoom session that we had was long enough last time for you to give me COVID. So um, <laughs> they, don't, they don't tell you that in the social distancing guidelines. I'm not quite sure I think I how that happened. To your, to your hmm? node, to the fibre, to the node. I probably gave you node COVID. <laughs> well, are you using NVN or are you using 5G? Oh, yeah. That well, could no, have something to do with it. Yeah, no, the 5G tower is still out of action in Mullumbimby. Oh, right. I can't remember that then. Yeah. <laughs> I was also bitten by a bat when I was camping, so that might have been it too. <laughs> Big show coming up. Let's get into it. If you thought the Easter period at airports were busy, well, it was. And according to Virgin Airlines, there's nothing to be done, so just suck it up and get used to it, people. That They're running as efficiently as they can. It's election time, which means it's time for mining billionaire Clive Palmer to show everyone how big his rocks are. Thankfully, he hasn't included any pics in any of his texts yet. Uh, we'll see what Clive's got cooking. And Sri Lanka's economy is performing worse than its cricket team. We'll find out what's going on there. The presidents are dead. Long live the dead presidents. We'll find out if the US dollar is still the global skrilla of choice. Uh, I've been watching a lot of gangster movies in COVID ISO. But first, Thomas, we've got a couple of listener questions come through. Um, thank you so much for the listener questions out there, by the way. We really do appreciate getting them in. Uh, if you've got something you'd like to share with us, you can email us, cve at equitymates.com uh, or via social media, Facebook and Instagram, at CVE Podcast. And Tim wrote us a nice message. Tim said, uh, hey, guys, I had to have a tooth pulled today. Quite painful. 
but I listen to you guys and help take my mind off the needles and drilling. So thanks, and I highly recommend CVE for dental work. So that's nice. Um, that could be it. That's our, I said. I said to him in the reply. So that could be the the tagline for our show is CVE better than having a tooth pulled. Um, <laughs> just setting the bar at a manageable level. <laughs> Thomas Nathan sent us a message. Uh, he wants to know how does QT actually work? Quantitative tightening. So. Through COVID, we had we had quantitative easing or money printing. Uh, I think we all got pretty comfortable with the idea of money printing. Uh, now we're talking about quantitative tightening. Is that where we just set fire to mountains of cash? How does that work? Uh, it's actually not too far from the truth. Well, not, not yeah. the literal truth, but yeah. So where quantitative easing was was printing money and pumping it into the economy, increasing liquidity in the economy. Quantitative tightening is the obvious, is the opposite where we're sucking that liquidity back out of the financial system mm. yeah, and decreasing the quantity of money in the system. How, how it works in practice, we've talked about this a bit before, but so with quantitative easing, the Reserve Bank or the Fed or whatever prints money, just presses a button and gives themselves some cash they mm. then take that and then they buy a bond from the government or yeah, something like a financial in- instrument like that. So the government basically says, you give me $100 and I'll give you a return. Maybe it's 5% a year, so 5 bucks a year for mm. a fixed term. So it's five years. And at the end of the five years, I'll give you the $100 back. Right. So they sell that bond to the RBA. The RBA gives the government $100 and now there's a fresh $100 in the system. Right. And it's important to note, and this is something that always used to catch me out, is the RBA is not part of the government. It's not like a government department. It's, it's kind statutorily of a- independent, but mm. it's a public agency, you know, right. reports to the government. Its mandate is set by the government. Yeah, but ScoMo is not controlling the funds. He's not like no, no. So it's no. like independent of yeah. It has they call it statutory independence. So it's mm. it sort of its mandate is set by the government and it's overseen by the government, but in its day to day operations, it's independent. Yeah, it's sort of sort of how you can think about it. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of its own beast. Cool. Yeah. So with with quantitative tightening, what they could do is they could like get their money back, but what they what, how it works in practice is they just let those bonds lapse. So they, they let them mature. And so like at the end of the five years in our, in our previous example, the government goes, okay, here's your $100 back. And the RBA just goes, great, thanks, and then mm. kills it and just right. sort of like erases that money. Takes it out the back. Yeah, takes, <laughs> pops a cab in its ass. going <laughs> <laughs> to stop these gangster films. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So that's sort of how it works. They just let let the bonds mature, the money comes back to the RBA and then they just they just squash it. And mm. that's sort of and so that's how they pull the liquidity out of the system. Right. Oh, okay. That sounds So you've got two things that they can do to tighten monetary policy. They can raise rates and then they can do quantitative tightening, so pulling money out of the system. Mm. Last time we had this back in 2017, 2018, you had four or five rate hikes before they started quantitative tightening. Yeah. So we're probably not there yet in Australia or the US because we've only had one in the US, nothing here in Australia. So we'll probably get a few rate hikes getting that back to normal before they start pulling liquidity out of the system. Right, I guess there was a big rate hike in the US, wasn't it? It Was half a point? No, they had five twenty. I don't know. I'd never know what a point is. Can we go back to percents? Um, 
basis basis points is the, mm. is the terminology. So fifty basis points is is half a percent. Fifty points. Yeah. Fifty. 50 yeah, basis points, not points. It's not. It's not. It's not cricket. <laughs> I don't use points in cricket. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Look, let's just agree to you stick to what you know and I'll stick to what I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Thomas. Virgin Airlines says that busy airports are here to stay. Um, that's good news, I guess. People are flying and travelling. But what do they mean? So it comes after a response. So Easter travel was pretty manic. Mm. Sydney Airport had queues out the airport itself, out mm. onto the taxi rank, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, so they're super busy. Yeah, so the CEO of Virgin, uh, Jane Herdlicker, was saying that with, that's sort of the new normal now. We've got to get used to that. Saying we're doing the best we can, but we basically laid off a whole bunch of staff during COVID and we haven't hired everyone back yet. And so we're sort of just making it work the best we can. And it's sort of like, it's a, it's a sort of supply chain disruption stories that there's a, you know, a lot of uncertainty that haven't sort of got the handle on what, what de- airline travel demand looks like. And so it's sort of an adjustment process as we get back to pre COVID levels. I read this article. It sounds like such a cop out. Like <laughs> uh-uh. that, she's essentially saying like, we're, we're doing like that they're not match fit. Like they've had a couple of seasons off. <laughs> everyone's everyone's had a few pies. And we're not quite we're not quite match ready. Airlines are not exactly renowned for efficiency, I don't think. And and the arguments to me seems to be that we're we're doing everything as efficiently as we can, and we're going to have to all just get used to these queues and get used to this this level of kind of delay and lost bags. <laughs> 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 like, like one in ten bags is going missing. That's the best we can do at the, at the time. <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't have a lot of sympathy for airlines and their efficiency claims that that they can't be doing things any more efficient. I, a couple of years ago, a few years ago, I booked, uh, and I'll wear it. It was my fault. I accidentally booked two tickets the same way to Brisbane. Like, I wanted to fly to Brisbane and back, <laughs> but I booked two tickets. <laughs> Adelaide to Brisbane and I rang the airline and I'm like look I'm sorry I've I've booked like two tickets I wanted to book a return trip but I've booked two tickets the same way the airline was like look you bought like a super saver fare there's no rescheduling we can't change them and I was like ah oh, that's it's pretty frustrating but I get it I knew what I was signing up for when I signed up to the to the fare so I rang them back and I'm like look I'm just going to have to cancel my fare my second fare from Adelaide to Brisbane because I'm obviously not going to use it and she said, look, sorry, you're, the way you've booked the Super Saver fare doesn't allow for cancellations. <laughs> and I was like, what? what are you talking about? She goes, you can't cancel the fare. I'm like, so I've got to fly back from Adelaide, uh, from Brisbane to Adelaide so I can get on this plane that I've booked so I can fly back to Brisbane so I can fly home. She's like, yep, I guess you have to do that. I'm like, look, I'm, I'm trying to help you here. I'm, I'm not flying on that plane I can't be I'll be in Brisbane I'm not going to be in Adelaide there's no way I'm getting on the plane can I cancel the flight so that you so you can sell it to somebody else that's doing you a favor she's like sorry your fare type doesn't allow cancellations I'm like that's ridiculous so anyway to teach him a lesson the day of the flight (laughs) the day of the flight of my scheduled flight, my second one from Adelaide to Brisbane that I was already in Brisbane for, I decided to do an online check-in. <laughs> <laughs> I 
just just to cause them and everyone some mild inconvenience as they paged me oh. in Adelaide <laughs> while I waited for my already booked return flight to Brisbane. So I'm sorry if you're on that flight from Adelaide to Brisbane oh, yeah. and, I'm, and I'm sorry if you had to listen to my name being paged <laughs> in Adelaide. <laughs> but I think it's an important lesson that the airline needed to learn. So you're telling me that when you say, like when I hear, look, yeah. we're doing our best, this is as efficient we can run things, I call, mm. I call bullshit. Well, I think what's interesting is demand's come back strong, stronger mm. than they expected. So they're now, Virgin's saying they're back at pre-COVID levels. They were before Easter. Easter was busy, busiest day in two years. Yeah. Uh, Qantas, they're saying they're back to 90 to 100% of pre-pandemic levels mm. as well. So sort of demand's back to where it was pre-COVID. But in the meantime, you've had a massive job shedding. So Qantas... Mm sacked 6,000 6, workers, outsourced another 2,500. That's out of a total workforce of 30,000. So 6,000 out of 30,000 is a pretty substantial, you know, that's a substantial whack. Mm. Virgin cut 3,000 jobs when they, they got sort of went into administration then got taken over by Bain. I mean, what you sort of read into this is they're, they're operating at pre-pandemic levels with a big reduction in the workforce. Mm. which means that th- things are going to be hard, there's going to be queues out the door. But it must also mean that profitability's up because the labour force is a big chunk of the cost bill for mm. an airline. So it makes you think, like, if, if revenues are back at pre-COVID levels but staff, ter- staff costs are way down, that sort of must imply that profitability's up. They're not saying that, but mm. that's sort of how I'm, how I'm reading it, which makes it sort of... Interesting. Without like, the check-in staff and everything, like people are going to have to start, I don't know, like checking in their own bags even. Like, oh, no, wait, we're doing that already. <laughs> the other thing that annoyed me about this <laughs> was that at the same time that they're crying poor and saying, oh, we haven't got any people, we're, you know, we're coming back up, we're, we're, working our, we're working our stuff out, they launched Virgin Beyond, which is the, is the gold class Qantas chairman's lounge equivalent for mm. the top 1% so they can have champagne and bloody horsey doovers while they're waiting for the plane. <laughs> like how long do you spend in it? Like is that the best value proposition Virgin's got for us at the moment? Like, look, sorry, everyone, you're going to have to deal with congestion and delays and, and some of your bags are going to go missing unless you can afford the Virgin Beyond Gold Class Lounge uh, in which case, the, you know, you'll be fine because we've invested heavily in looking after those people. That lounge is invite only and is hidden behind, <laughs> hidden behind unmarked doors somewhere <laughs> in the airport. It's, it's the fanciest speakeasy you'll ever come across. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Thomas, I know it's election time because Clive Palmer has started texting me again. You've got to stop it though, uh-huh. Clive, if you're listening. I don't even know what nudes are. Stop asking for them. Um, <laughs> Other than that, what's Clive up to? <laughs> uh, yeah, so he's, he's launched his campaign, he's launched his economic policy, a couple of um, eyebrow-raising policies he's put on the table. One is that he's um, going to cap mortgage interest rates at 3%. So oh, this is good news. The fixed that. rate is already above... I'm, I'm refinancing my home loan at the moment. The fixed rate is already um, above 3%. Yeah. So that's, I don't even I don't need to, to fix anymore. I can stay on variable, and Clive's going to mm. cap it for me. This is genius. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, going to make yeah they're going to be higher than that's going to be illegal, mm. and <laughs> yeah, and then there's a fifteen percent tax on iron ore exports, which is going to hypothecate, which means when you take revenue 
that's and dedicate it to one particular thing. It's going to hypothecate it towards retiring debt and getting Australia out of debt. Huh. Well, let's yeah. start with the interest rate thing. How can he mm. do? How can he? How can he do that? Can he do that? Can't do that. Oh God! Yeah, it's it's. He, there's no details on this policy. It's a bit. <laughs> it's a little bit bare. So so mm. everyone's like, "How are you going to do that?" And mm. no one really knows. Uh, it's hard to imagine how he would do it. Like either you just mandate it. You could mandate it through APRA and say, like, we're not going to let financial institutions lend for mortgages more than th- at more than three percent. Mm. But at which point, once the bank's borrowing costs got up too high to make it unprofitable, they just stop lending. They just so you just sort of that would just kill the mortgage market. Mm. Unless you're talking about nationalizing the entire Australian mortgage market, which I don't think Clive Palmer is talking about. Mm. Then then you're talking about um, the government backstopping it by lending to financial institutions at a rate which makes three percent mortgages affordable. So he's not going after he's not doing anything at the RBA. He's going to tell banks you can't lend out money at higher than three percent. Even if even if the cash rate gets to four percent, he's mm. going to say to the banks, "Sorry, you're going to have mm. to just have to run at a loss." They've been they had a good wicket for a while. The banks they've been pretty profitable. <laughs> yeah, they can probably handle it. <laughs> they don't strike me as overly philanthropic, though. The banks. No, no, no they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't wear it. They'd just be no. like, "Yeah, no, we're just we're, we're out," which would be a big. You know big story for the banks. They rely on the mortgage books for the big chunk of their profitability. Hmm. There's no practical way forward for this policy. Like it's, <laughs> and I'm amazed it sort of gets reported without just like people just tearing shreds off it. Like it's to be, to announce it without any mechanism behind it is just kind of, it's just yeah. irresponsible. And the, the media is picking up on it and saying, yep, he's going to do that without saying, even though it is a batshit crazy idea with no mm. practical way forward, he has announced a three yeah. percent cap on mortgage rates. I feel well, like I could run as an independent and just come out and announce a cap of two percent. Like mm. done. Yeah. And it's I mean sort of the position he's in as, you know, maybe gonna pick up a couple of Senate seats at best. He's mm. not gonna be in government come May. So he doesn't have to like doesn't have to deliver on any of these promises. So it's kind of a talk is cheap kind of thing. Is it's like yeah, three percent. Right. So it. that's a, that's interesting. So you can do that kind of thing knowing because you know it's going to be Labor or Liberal that run the country. Mm. But he's going to he's trying to win seats, right? So he can influence mm. things, have the balance of power. Yeah. yeah. But I guess yeah, you're right. He doesn't. He's never going to. This policy is never going to be enacted. Like it's never going to no. come to that. So he must have just say everyone gets what everyone gets a. A pony if I win. Yeah. If, yeah. Because ne- it doesn't matter. Why, why would you, 3% a 3% interest rate cap seems pretty conservative if by that measure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> why not That's just announce free money and swimming pools and holidays for everybody? Yeah. No one will have to work the day after I get elected. Perfect. Done. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think with the interest rate thing, and like if you look at his campaign messaging, it's tied to government debt and his plan to retire government debt. Mm. People haven't, I think, I don't think people just don't understand it and think like, oh yeah, maybe there's a connection between government debt levels and mortgage rates. And mm. it, and maybe there is some mechanism where he can deliver 3% mortgages. Right. People just don't understand that there is. But he'd have to do the cash rate, wouldn't he? Like he'd have to, that's, that's where you'd have to cap it somehow. You'd have to cap the money that the banks were borrowing. Otherwise, the whole thing just falls apart, surely. 
yeah, well, yeah, yeah. You have you have to you'd have to cap the the yeah. That's right. The cost of capital for the banks that mm. would probably involve printing money and the government becoming the financer of the banks. At which point, then you sort of like it's like well, if you're going to finance the banks, why don't you just nationalize them? But if, if what do you mean by when you say nationalize the uh, you the own banks. them. The, go- the government owns oh, the banks. So you, right. don't, you have no private banks anymore. They're all government owned. Oh, okay. Yeah, yes. which, is, which is one way you could do it. But like if you're going to finance the banks, then it's kind of, you, you know, you're half the way there. Mm. But if you're financing the banks with, you know, cheap cost of capital, you've got to come up with that money from somewhere. So you either print it or you run government debt. So you're going to blow it. You're blowing out the government debt. Is, right. is the most likely way you would achieve that kind of policy is by the government borrowing money and lending to the banks. But this is the, the genius of Clive Palmer, though. He's not. He's going the other way. He's cutting yeah. the government debt. He's going to... I know. Oof. He's, he's a visionary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know who's happy? Phil, Phil Lowe's happy, the, the governor of the RBA, because he's no longer got the craziest standpoint in relation to interest rates in the country anymore. <laughs> like... <laughs> people have people that can easily kind of take what Phil Lowe's saying and go, oh, okay, he's, he's yeah, I don't quite believe him, but he's no Clive Palmer. Like he's not <laughs> he's not saying three percent interest rate caps. So he's got this iron ore tax, right? Fifteen um, percent iron ore tax. So he's using that to drive to pay down the debt. So he's talking about he's going to hit the banks, and he's going to hit the miners. Like I'm no economist, Thomas, as you know, <laughs> but that's pretty much. Like banks and mining is pretty much the backbone <laughs> of our economy, isn't it? <laughs> All right, let's take a quick break here, get a word from our sponsors, and we'll be back talking about the economic crisis in Sri Lanka and the future of the US dollar. You're on Comedian versus Economist. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome back here on Comedian versus Economist. We would love it if you went and left us a review wherever you get your podcast. That helps us out enormously. Thomas, I've read Sri Lanka is in a bit of an economic crisis. What's happening over there? Yeah, things things are getting rough in Sri Lanka. There was nationwide protests. One person was killed and 13 injured the other day. Hmm. Yeah, and basically the, the economy is in crisis. There's power outages, there's shortage of foods, food inflation's through the roof. I think food inflation's running at 30% year on year. Energy prices have doubled. Wow. Yeah, so that's sort of creating a whole bunch of shortages, power outages, Mm. Big problems for Sri Lanka. Yeah, it's doing it tough. If you're interested in this topic, I should point out too that the new podcast, The Dive, are also covering this one very soon. So keep your ears out for that. So what's caused all this economic problems? 
I mean, basically, it's, you could sort of point it to COVID. So COVID, Sri Lanka's economy is very dependent on tourism and remittances. Both were smashed with COVID. So that, that mm. sort of, that caused a big, big, yeah, that created some problems. In 2019, the government campaigned on tax cuts and delivered those just before COVID hit. So that took a big chunk out of, out of government revenue just as the economy went into free fall. Right. So that's created a bit of a debt crisis there. And yeah, there's a debt crisis happening right now. They're saying there's US $7 billion due this year. They've got something like $4 billion in reserves. So they're not, they don't have enough money right now to pay the debt that's, that's coming due this year, right. let alone the debt that's, that's coming forward. And basically what happened is because the, the government was, had, so, had such a bad debt position, Sri Lanka got locked out of international credit markets, which meant they couldn't roll over this debt. And so they got into trouble. Yeah. And then they devalue the currency. So the currency's fallen through the floor. But that sort of helps some things like, it, you know, when you, if you devalue your currency, that gives you exports a boost, but it doesn't help tourism because tourism's still locked down. Um, but when a devalued currency makes imports more expensive and when you're importing energy and staples like Sri Lanka does then mm. those when that those import prices spike and that creates domestic inflation which is a which is this is a yeah, very hard story and then you've got the Ukraine crisis which is added to all that with the surge in energy prices so right. all this is sort of coalesced around yeah to create this sort of crisis basically Sri Lanka's just run out of money is sort of the short story there I did read that, that a lot of people are blaming the president saying that this is mm. the economic mismanagement by the government that's led to this. Is that is that fair? Yeah, I mean, it's a bit... Uh, like, I couldn't tell you. I don't know. Right. Like, I'm not... Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't Didn't read to know. the end of the article? No. <laughs> 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 Me either. Yeah. <laughs> I only read the headline. <laughs> I mean, I think I think there's a sort of a bit of a feeling like the, there's the, there's a bit of corruption at the top, like the prime minister and the president are brothers. <laughs> which... <laughs> that doesn't just could, that could happen anywhere. Um, yeah, yeah. But I yeah. think that was all that happened there was the president's dad and mum were just sick of them fighting, and and he said one day the the dad was like, <laughs> "All right, you can be the president." And the brother was like, oh, that's not fair. What am I going to do? And he's like, all right, well, you can be the prime minister. It's perfectly plausible. That's exactly how I'd resolve any, any home domestic dispute as well. Yeah, yeah. Because, well, apparently the president appoints the prime minister. Oh, is that right? I, I yeah, read that. probably yeah. right. But, and apparently there's like just the Rajapaksa Paxa clan mm. um, and there's so the president, the prime minister and then like four or five members of cabinet also from that family. Right. It's in a, and it's not a small country. It's like 22 million people. So it's about the size of Australia. Yeah, so yeah, that, doesn't, right. that doesn't look good. So people are a bit like, eh, that's, looks, that's not a great look. But you, then you've had COVID, you've had the Ukraine crisis that's triggered all of this. It's, it's not clear that it's, you know, government corruption that led to this mm. people are complaining that they're not happy with the way it's been managed but the way, from what i've read is that's more about the results they've got rather than the strategies they put in place like when you've got food prices going through the roof and and rice and all these things spiking then white rice which is the a staple has increased 93 mm. percent since on wow. covid levels so yeah so that really hurts and you, got, you have this thing like when there's a saying that in political economy that you're only ever three meals from a revolution that once once people start to get hungry and then they very quickly start agitating for political change 
Uh-huh. If you remember, like in the Arab Spring, that the popular uprising oh, yeah. around, around 2009, the chant going around Europe was freedom, liberty, and freedom, equality, and bread. That was right. the that was the things they were calling for. It's like, yeah, we want these ideals, but we also just want bread. Got to eat. Got to eat. Yeah. Mm. And so I think you know Clive Palmer's picked up on that with the uh, his slogan, "Freedom, equality, and pies." <laughs> <laughs> Thomas, true or false? Is it the end of the road for the US dollar's dominance? Yeah, some people some people are saying this right now. So the US dollar has been the dominant, it's kind of the core of the, the world reserve currency since uh, the end of World War II. Mm. But people are now wondering if that might be coming to an end. Well, kind of the, the big development that's caught people's attention is that Saudi Arabia is in negotiations with China to sell oil in exchange for yuan. Uh, hmm. Rather than rather than U.S. dollars, so eighty percent of the world's oil trade happens in U.S. dollars. China's uh, busy, eh? They're in the Solomon Islands negotiating. <laughs> there, <laughs> in yeah. Saudi Arabia, I've got, got people. Yeah, yeah. Got to make it done. Yeah, yeah. So, so the, sort of the idea that a few analysts are talking about is that when U.S. led the world in sanctioning Russia and basically excluding Russia from the global financial system. Mm. A lot of large, powerful countries like China, uh, India, Saudi Arabia, those sort of Arabic countries started looking at the financial system and like, well, if if America can just cut us off, maybe Mm. we need to like diversify our eggs a bit and get away from the US dollar. Mm. And so that's sort of the idea. And the, the IMF's First Deputy Managing Director, Gita Gopinath, she came out and said, like, yeah, the dollar's going to remain dominant, but this kind of stuff is going to lead to fragmentation. So you're going to have sort of the emergence of, tr- of trading blocks operating in alternative currencies to the US dollar. Not without risk, though, is it? If you, like, you don't know, like China could just do whatever they want as well. Mm. Like if you start trading in, in yuan, then, you know, you, you then become beholden to whatever China decides to do with you mm. aren't and yeah. my point is it's not necessarily the best alternative yeah. i'm not saying it i got no, i'm not obviously not qualified <laughs> to talk about whether it's a good alternative or yeah, not not but, financial advice but don't, don't go <laughs> long you are if you if you're if you're a small island nation <laughs> searching for an alternative to the us dollar don't take a, don't take financial advice from a podcast <laughs> <laughs> Isn't the stability of the US dollar the kind of the the attractive thing about it? Like it's kind yeah, of yeah. This is sort of, this is the, like there's an interesting there's an idea out there that the US has used its reserve currency status that 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 having having the world's reserve currency gives it a number of benefits. Like it helps it consume more than it would be able to, to otherwise. It lowers its borrowing costs because everyone wants US dollars, um, and that's a benefit. Mm. And it's that benefit has cemented US power, political power around the world, economic and political power around the world. And that's sort of that idea. But I don't think that's true. Like my take on that is that's not the case. It's, it's the causality runs the other way. It's that because the US is so politically and economically dominant, then people naturally start using the US dollar as the reserve currency. So people trade in US dollars because everyone is trading in US dollars, because everyone believes that the US dollar is stable and because they, they, they believe in the power of the US military industrial complex, basically. So, so that, right. that's what underpins this reserve currency status. It's not, it's not that it's just arbitrarily 
the reserve currency and which then gives the US power. It's because the US is powerful that people use the US dollar as the reserve currency. And, you, and then you look at the competitors. Mm. To, I mean, the other thing is like when you've got a reserve currency, it elevates your exchange rate because everyone needs to buy US dollars. So that pushes up the value of the US dollar relative to other, current, other countries. But typically you don't want your currency to go too high. The RBA, for example, has a, has a view about where, that, where it wants the exchange rate to be and manages interest rates to stop the exchange rate getting too high or getting too high too quickly mm. that, you know, and if you want to boost your export sector, you devalue your exchange rate, which is what Sri Lanka's just done. So having a high exchange rate actually hurts you. It makes imports more cheap and it makes uh, your exports relatively more expensive, which hurts your trade balance, which hurts your economy overall. Mm. You know, and there was a case like back in the 2010s or something, a bunch of Latin American countries decided to diversify their reserves and hold Japanese, uh, Japanese yen. And Japan wasn't happy about that at all. And it took that money that they got from the Latin American countries and just went and bought US dollars and said, we don't want this reserve currency status thing. So you can, we'll just push this back onto the US. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so, and there's sort of an argument like Michael Pettis was saying, like, it's kind of bizarre that the US even wants to be, have the world's reserve status. It costs it. It's, it's, there's no benefits to it. it just, it's just an expense. It's just a hassle. Um, but it's kind of the case, I think, that, that only the US is, is powerful enough to be able to hold, the, carry the burden of, of having a reserve currency status. And there isn't an alternative. Like you look at U, the, the euro out of Europe is probably the next best alternative, but you had the sovereign debt crises, like remember when the Greek debt crisis and all of that. So <clears throat> the people don't trust the, you know, you don't have the depth of the European bond market in the same way you have the US treasuries, which makes makes that kind of tricky to sort of prop up a reserve currency. And then China has a closed capital account. You can't sort of move money freely and the, and the yuan's pegged and, and actively managed by the, the Chinese state. So that doesn't really work either. So there isn't really a viable alternative mm. now. No, but in seriousness, is this something where cryptocurrency could fill like a role or is that is that just is that crazy town Ooh, i think it's crazy town for what we're talking about because you need something to kind of it needs, keep yeah, it, it needs stable to be stable like it needs to have that reliable it needs to act as a unit of account it needs to act as a store of value it needs to act as a medium of exchange definitely as a store of value bitcoin's not not hitting that yet maybe as a medium of exchange it's kind of hitting that but and as a unit of account, not like nothing's getting set in the price of Bitcoin, whereas like a lot of things are set in US dollars. Um, so yeah, long way from long way from that. So there's no like so Australia couldn't step up and offer its services as as the reserve <laughs> currency. There's no benefit to be had. We wouldn't want to. We wouldn't want to. We wouldn't mm. want to. Like there's no there's no correlation between borrowing costs and reserve currency status. Mm. Like the amount of reserves that foreign countries hold. Like in terms of Aussie dollars, we actually have some of the most. We like we have the most, the highest percentage of our reserves held. At, the highest percentage of our currency held in foreign foreign central bank reserves of any country in the world. Because right. Aussie dollars, because we're such a, so central to commodity trading, uh, and we're a stable currency, stable, and we're a stable political economy, Aussie dollars has has reserve value. But that doesn't help our borrowing costs, and we have higher borrowing costs than the US does. 
Yeah, so there isn't, there isn't a, it doesn't, it doesn't, there's, n- there's no data to support the idea that having your currency as a reserve currency lowers your borrowing cost. That doesn't seem to be the case. So it doesn't seem to, and if, and if, yeah, so if we did put up a hand and said use us as a reserve, um, that pushes up our exchange rate, which hurts our exporters. Clive would be super, super pissed about it. I'm, I'm definitely listening and it's super interesting what you're saying, but I think I'm, <laughs> I'm fading fast. COVID's got to me. So I think we better wrap it up there. Um, thank you for joining us once again on Comedian versus Economist. Don't forget to check out all the other great podcasts from Equity Mates Media. Get started investing, Equity Mates Investing Podcast. You're in good company. Talk money to me, Crypto Curious, and the brand new podcast called The Dive, which is coming at you. Uh, well, coming at you. Um, so, yeah, thanks so much for tuning in. We look forward to your company once again. We'll see you then. Bye for now. Comedian vs. Economist is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Comedian vs. Economist are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media and the hosts of Comedian vs Economist acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today.